Well, kia ora, everyone. How you're doing? I pray you've had a great week. And uh, we're going to jump into part three of the series that we've been doing simply called the Bible. Uh, the word Bible, as we've said, comes from the Greek word biblios, which simply means book or the book. And as, as I've said throughout the series, there is no doubt that the authority of the Bible is under attack today. Uh, from both without and from, sadly, within some sectors of the church. And why is that? Why, why is that happening? I think the Holy Bible says things, teaches things, declares things that people just don't want to hear. What it commands, what it teaches certainly goes against popular opinion in a society really looking for acceptance, affirmation, and validation of lifestyles and agendas. And so my job as a leader, my job as a, as a spiritual leader, as a pastor, as a, as a teacher, is to do what? It, it's to equip. This is why I'm doing this series. It's to equip the saints. I want to equip you. My job is to equip the saints for what? For the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to a unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Maturity is a thing that is needed in the church today. And become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching or doctrine, as it says in other versions. And by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, instead, speaking the truth in love. There's a novel thought. We know it's not just about love. It's about speaking the truth in love. And doing that, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So there is work to be done. And my job as a minister is to equip you for that work, to equip you for the work of the ministry so that we can all play our part effectively in the body of Christ. So it's important as a Christ follower that we settle what we believe about the Biblios, the Bible, the divine library. It's, it's important that we settle what the Bible is. It's, it's important that we settle what the Bible, God's divine library is is what is it to be to us and for me for me clearly as it is for most believing christians the bible is the only authoritative written revelation of god the bible is a product of both god and humans i believe it's written with supernaturally guided divinely inspired precision and that the bible actually says precisely what god wanted it to the authority of the Bible comes not from the caliber of its human authors, but from the character of its divine author. All Scripture is given, it tells us in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And we have to remember that the divine author of Scripture 
is not dead. God is not dead. He is alive. He is eternal. The God of Scripture, the God of this divine library is not dead. That's why the Word of God is alive. That's why the Word of God is active. For the Word of God is alive and active in our lives. We don't change it. It changes us. Well-known author and theologian J.I. Packer said this, it is for the Bible to form and reform the church. It is for the church to keep and to keep to the Bible. So the question I want to look at today is how did we get the Bible that we use today? Who decided what books are in our Bible? Let's start by understanding, uh, determining that well, get this. Determine, how about, let, me do, let me do that. Let, let me start by understanding. Determining what writings were inspired by God was not actually a specific event, but rather it was a process over time. I want you to understand. It was not a specific event where somebody decided this is how it's going to be. Rather, it, it was a process that happened over many years, over time. The 66 books accepted today as God's inspired word, the Bible, are actually referred to as the canon of Scripture. Not to be confused with the canon that goes boom. Canon is a Greek word meaning rule or principle or measuring stick. In other words, there was a very high measure or standard needed to deem a writing to be called inspired by God. Early Jewish and church leaders, understand, did not create the canon. A group of religious leaders did not sit and determine which books would be called Scripture, the inspired Word of God. They didn't sit and determine that. Rather, over time, what happened is leaders merely recognized those books that were inspired or God breathed. So what do I mean? A, a writing was not given the authority of being Scripture merely because early Jewish or Christian leaders accepted it as such. No, that, that's not what gave it authority. Instead, it was accepted by the leaders and the people because it was clear to them that God himself had given the writing its divine authority. They recognized it as such. Again, again, J.I. Packer said this, the church, I love it, the church no more created the canon than Newton created the law of gravity. Recognition is not creation. In the study I did in biblical and church history, we can see at least four guiding principles or rules or measures that qualified a letter or a book to be recognized as divinely inspired writing. Number one, the first one was this. The writing was authored by a prophet or apostle, a prophet or apostle of God or someone connected to them. Two, the message of the book was consistent with what had already been revealed about God. Number three, the writing clearly evidenced 
the confirming presence of God. And that's why books like, say, Esther were almost not included in the canon of Scripture, simply because God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. There's no mention of God, but as those leaders and the scholars of the time, that they could see quite plainly that God's hand is there in that book. And so it was included. And four, the book was widely accepted by the church from an early date. And so let's talk about the Old Testament. What do we know when it comes to the formation of the Old Testament? What do we know? Well, we know as early as the uh, 300s uh, BC and certainly no later than 150 BC that all 39 books, what we call the Old Testament, all 39 books of the Old Testament had been written. They'd been written, they'd been collected, and officially recognized as canonical books. Now, the Hebrew uh, text of the 39 books that we know as the Old Testament was originally actually only divided into 24 books in the Hebrew text, only 24. Five books of the law, the law of Moses, Five, uh, sorry, eight books of the prophets and the 11 writings. And of course, Jesus himself repeatedly quoted and taught from these books. Australian New Testament scholar Leon Morris said this, the Bible was the only book Jesus ever quoted. And then never as a basis for discussion but to decide the point at issue. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus states that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the five books, and the prophets, the eight books, and the Psalms, part of the 11 writings, must be fulfilled. He said, then he said to them, these are my words in Luke 24. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Henry Smith, a 15th century English clergyman, wrote, Christ is figured in the law, foretold in the prophets, and fulfilled in the gospel. Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verse 51, also made reference to the first and last martyrs within the Old Testament text when he said in Luke 11, verse 51, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. He's right here what is he doing? He's referring to the entire span of the Old Testament. From the first book, Genesis, to Chronicles, which is the last book. You might be going, isn't it Malachi? No, in the Hebrew text, in the Hebrew sequence of the Old Testament, Chronicles was the last book. Of course, now today in English, we have reordered the 24 uh, books uh, the, of the Hebrew text and divided them into uh, 39 books. For instance, in the Hebrew text, there's no First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings. That, that, those have been come, and as we've done the English version, as it's been divided to make it easier to reference and find parts in it. 
But understand what Jesus was doing here because it's, it's very significant. It was like Jesus was saying from Genesis to Malachi. He was right here confirming his acceptance. This is a biggie. Right here he was confirming his acceptance of the entire Old Testament canon. Clearly, we can see here that Jesus himself considered and confirmed the authority and inspiration of the Hebrew Old Testament. And really, to be honest, no higher authority could be given. No higher authority but the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the everlasting God. No higher authority could be given than that of Christ. So let's talk about the New Testament. Soon after Paul wrote his epistles, epistles just means letter. There are different letters that Paul wrote that are now part of our New Testament. So soon after Paul wrote his epistles, they were recognized by the early church as inspired by God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, we can see that the apostle Peter considered the letters of Paul to belong to the category of Scripture. 2 Peter 3, verses 15 through 16, it says, Our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the, he writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, or really probably hard to swallow which ignorant and unstable people, I love it how the Bible talks like it, just doesn't, doesn't mess, mess around. How ignorant, but let's pray we, we are not numbered among them. Which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do other scriptures. Uh, so Peter right here was, was affirming, he, he viewed Paul's writings as, as that of scripture, of that of inspired by God. And of course, then we have the church the church fathers, the church fathers of the first and second centuries AD, such as Clement of Alexandra, uh, Ignatius, and, and Polycarp. That's an interesting name, Polycarp. All of these guys also recognized the authority of the writings that comprised of what we now call the New Testament. And, and as an aside too, can, can I say, this, these guys, Ignatius and so on, and uh, 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 they lived fascinating lives. And it's worth, if you've got time, I mean, hey, come on, we're, we're in red now. There maybe, maybe you're home from work or whatever. Why not study some early church history and, and get to see there's so many amazing things to learn about these guys' uh, lives. So they're fascinating to study. I mean, let's take Polycarp, for instance, who was a disciple. Who was he? He was a disciple of the Apostle John. He was one of his disciples. These, and these guys were serious dudes, right? I mean, he was brutally, Polycarp was brutally martyred. Brutally martyred. He was bound and burnt at the stake and then stabbed with a spear. Listen, when the fire failed to consume his body. When the fire did not consume his body, they said, let's, let's stab him. That's what they did. He was not very inflammable, I've just got to say. So just when you... and. and you know, again, what does this do for me? 
You know, when you're going through a hard time, when you're going through a difficult time, when you're going, uh, maybe even this week, you go, my life is so tough, my Christian walker, someone insulted me at work the other day or whatever it is. Can, can I just suggest to you, when you're sitting there and, and, and going, my life is tough, my life is difficult, can I suggest to you, remember Polycarp. Remember Polycarp. Remember, remember his life. You know, when... when when people talk about, I'm on fire for God, I mean, literally for Polycarp, that was a literal, he was on fire for the things of God. And why did this happen? Why did they burn him at the stake? Why did they stab him? All because, listen, he refused to burn incense to the Roman emperor. Just some, just some incense. He refused to burn incense to the Roman emperor. An edict was ordered that everyone in the empire, with the exception of Jews, must sacrifice and burn incense to the gods and to the well-being of the emperor. They had to do this. Listen, it wasn't just like you could just burn it at home. They had to do this in the presence of a Roman magistrate, and they had to get a written certificate called a, a libelius, but probably that's where we get words like liability and so, so forth from, a libelius that this had been done. So he needed a certificate and a, 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 a pass to say that this had been done and it would be signed by a magistrate and witnessed by others. And that's why he was burned to the same. He refused, he refused to do that. In fact, Polycarp is recorded as saying on the day of his death, this is what he said, 80 and six years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. I bless you, he said. I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour so that in the company of the martyrs, I may share the cup of Christ. Wow, powerful. You know, as I was reading this and reading about his life, I, I, I started thinking, I'm, I'm wondering what I would have done if I was Polycarp, or what, what would you have done? I mean, it, uh, if you were Polycarp, what, what, what would you have done if you were under that pressure? If the government asks you to do uh, something that's against your faith or against your conscience? I mean, it's just incense, right? It's just something small, right? What's the, what's the big deal? What would you do if the government asked you to do something like that that's against your conscience? What would you do? I mean, it's just incense. Anyway, I digress. Back to the message. By the early 200s and 300s AD, church elders had begun to set the criteria for recognizing writings of the apostles as inspired by God. In AD 367, Athanasius of Alexandria provided the first official list of the 27 books of the New Testament, which we have actually today. And again, his life was fascinating. He, he actually had a nickname. His enemies called him his enemies, got, get this, his enemies called him the Black Dwarf. It sounds like a pirate, doesn't it? The Black Dwarf, Jack Sparrow, Black Dwarf. But that was his name. That's what his enemies called him, the Black Dwarf. And this, he was a short, dark-skinned Egyptian bishop who had, I just want to say, plenty of enemies. And 
the, the reason I find this interesting is because when people make the claim, especially in these days, that Christianity is just a white man's religion, really, I want to say people do not understand the roots of our faith are in the East. And Athanasius was exiled five times. I mean, he was a bit of a, I, I don't know, a rebel or something, but he, he was exiled five times by four Roman emperors, spending 17 of the 45 years that he served as a bishop in Alexandria in exile. I mean, he, that's incredible. 17 of those years in exile. But it was him, this black Egyptian bishop from North Africa who formed the list of those books that were now recognized, that we recognized as inspired by God. He wrote this, and these 27 writings, and these 27 writings alone, the teaching of godliness is proclaimed. No one may add to them, and nothing may be taken away from them. Though, of course, other lists had been produced and would still be proposed, it was his list that the church eventually adopted and is the one that we still use today. So by the late 300s, there was a consensus. All 27 books were canonized by the councils of Hippo in AD 393 and Carthage, Tunisia in AD 397. It was a gathering of, of Christian bishops. Many well-known church fathers were there, people like Augustine uh, were there. And again, Augustine, when you think of uh, uh, him, he, again, a Berber of North African descent. They're, they're, these were the people who were gathered to uh, uh, recognize what God was doing in these books. And so again, as we, we, we think about that, when we think about this council coming together, we need to remember that this was not, not a group of church or elders or leaders authorizing a collection of religious writings. Rather, they were recognizing that this collection of books was authorized by God. The church, as J.I. Packer said, the church no more created the canon than Newton created the law of gravity. Recognition is not creation. That's how we got the Bible that we use today. I'm just going to ask the keys to start to play, and just as we bring this to a close, I know there'll be ones here today who go, well, Pastor, how, how do we know the Bible hasn't changed over over the years? Aren't there contradictions, mistakes? Should we take it literally? And let's continue to talk about that maybe next week as we continue to dig into getting a handle around the Bible that we use today. But as I close, I want to ask the question, Today, this Bible had an impact on my life. The story 
and message of the Bible that that man sinned and fell short of the glory of God, but Christ came. The Bible tells us that God sent His Son. So whomsoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to ask you today, my friend, do you believe in Him? You could be watching this today live, or this could be watched five years from now. And I don't want to finish this, this message today without giving you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, for you, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It's not our own righteousness. Our righteousness is, it's not us saying, hey, we can, I've got to improve and be a good person so God will accept me. No, no, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't do, if, if there's nothing we can do to reach up to Him. The beauty of the gospel is God reached down to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And He died on a cross. He took our punishment. He died our death that we might live His life. What we need to do is give our lives to Him. Give our heart the throne of... We need to get off the throne of our heart and let the King of Kings be the ruler of our life. I think it was Frank Sinatra who sung that song, I did it my way. Were you sick of doing it your way? Your way hasn't worked out. Would you do it God's way? Christ knocks on the door of your heart. If you would open it, He will come in. Oh, but pastor, you don't know how bad I am. It's not about how bad you are. It's about how good God is. God will change you. God will rearrange you. You don't get yourself all sorted out. Allow Him to come into your life and do that for you and with you. So would you give your life to Christ today? How do I do that? You just say, Jesus, would you come into my life? Lord, would you turn my life around? And maybe you've messed up. Maybe you've stuffed up. Maybe that's where we talk about repent. What does repent mean? It just turns from your sin and turn towards God. Just say, I'm I'm, I'm done with that. I'm going to turn my life towards God. And then begin to seek Him and follow Him and read His Word. Maybe start in the Gospel of John and allow His life to touch your life. Because remember, the God of the Bible is not dead. The author of the Divine Library is not dead. He's alive. He's alive and able to work in your heart today. Give your life to Him and allow Him to do what only He can do. As we close today, let me pronounce a blessing over you. Wherever you are, in your lounge, with your friends, why not just stand up and receive this blessing that I speak over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious 
to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. God bless.